0: Welcome to the Cary Church podcast. For more information regarding Cary Church, visit www.cary.asn.au. We arrive from a place called Alaska. Um, Beautiful, majestic scenery. There are amazing things that you can do in Alaska. And one of them is to see something called Mount Denali also known as Mount McKinley. I don't know if you've heard of it. But Mount Denali is the tallest mountain, there it is, the tallest mountain in the world. Yes, it is. It is the tallest mountain in the world. Now, you might be sitting there thinking, oh boy, he's off to a bad start. It's Mount Everest. But no, no, Mount Everest is the highest mountain in the world. So, the summit of Mount Everest is higher above sea level than any other mountain. But apparently we define the tallest mountain as the mountain that from base to summit is the tallest. And so because Mount Denali, is, is at, the base is at sea level and the top is 20,000 feet or so, it's the tallest. Whereas Mount Everest is actually on a plateau and it's got the highest. So there you go, so this magnificent mountain, tallest in the world, uh, I could actually see from my office in Anchorage, about 100 kilometres away, on a clear day on the horizon, you could see this mountain, absolutely magnificent. And around it, you can see a little bit there, is something called Mount Denali National Park. Now this is a place of of just beauty and grandeur and, and the animals you can see, but you can only go in in your own vehicle about two weekends a year. Is that right honey? Two weekends. One weekend a year, one weekend a year and you have to enter a lottery to get the the ability to go in there. My beautiful wife did that one year and we got this ticket and so we went and we stayed up near the mountain and the morning of the day that we had the pass we went in, we drove on this muddy road around some cliffs and it was just incredible. We saw moose with, with racks of antlers that were just, they're enormous, they're much bigger than horses. Uh, we, we saw bears, families of bear, and, and as we're travelling in the car, you'd stop and we had a um, set of binoculars, and we'd grab those, and you, you'd, you'd hope the bears would stay there, and you'd get the binoculars up, and you'd, you'd look through the one lens so you could see it, and that was great, and if you had time, you get both lenses, you, you know how it goes with binoculars, and you focus them up, and it's just, with both lenses, you could see the real life, the depth, These this family of bears in real life it was incredible. And at one point, we came around a bend, and there were these cars parked. And whenever there are other cars parked, you know there's something to look at. So we stopped. And we looked for the bears. Couldn't see any bears. We looked for the moose. Couldn't see any moose. And then we figured out that a lot closer than where we were looking, just on this little hillside, was an Arctic fox, dead still. I can't even do the dead still, but he was dead still. And just a few meters away was a little family of ground squirrels. And we had stopped on a David Attenborough moment of real life happening, unhappily for the fox, happily for those of us with little kids in the car, there was no lunch had by the fox that day. But what we saw was just fantastic. And it made me think, as, as we come to this passage, which you may or may not have read, our experience was a little bit like reading the Bible sometimes. You go there and you know it's majestic. You know you're going to see the bears. You know you're going to see the moose. There are these big things in the Bible that you know you're going to see. But sometimes, as you unpack it, you find this little nugget, this gem, and you think, wow, I wasn't expecting that. So would you pray with me that this morning we might discover something? Father God, thank you for your Word. Thank you that it is majestic and beautiful. Lord, we want to discover something this morning, something that you've put in there that maybe we haven't seen before. Thank you that we can explore it this morning. In Jesus' name, Amen. So we are in a series called Follow Him and we've been looking at the lives of disciples. We've been looking at a few things. One, they're fascinating, these lives. Two, we're trying to figure out what makes some of the disciples tick. And three, what can we learn from them? The first week, if you were here a few weeks ago, we talked about Andrew, one of the 12 disciples. And we decided that he was an introducer because many of the passages we see Andrew bringing people to Jesus. Last week we looked at Mary Magdalene and we we dispelled some myths about Mary and we realised that she actually had this unshakable and courageous faith. So we've been learning from two disciples and today we're going to look at a lady called Tabitha or Dorcas. Now just before we start, I want to touch on a couple of things. John sort of mentioned this, Dorcas, Tabitha, Gazelle, her name means gazelle and you can say it in Aramaic or Greek, so I might sort of oscillate between the two. I think we've headlined this as Dorcas it doesn't sound quite as pretty as Tabitha, but you know we'll, we'll work with it. We'll we'll use both names. And the other thing I wanted to mention in verse thirty-six of the passage that we just read, the word disciple is there. And if you were here last week, we actually spent some time talking about well, were there female disciples? Weren't there just twelve and they were all blokes? And we said actually no there were female disciples. And what we find in this passage is the word disciple in the Greek and it's the female version. So it's absolutely clear that this is a female disciple, just like the 12 disciples were disciples. So let me get that right up front. But who was Dorcas? Well, we're going to play a little association game. Who was Dorcas? Let's try this. I want you to help me by yelling out, I'm going to put some names up, and I want you to tell me what you associate with this name. You ready? Let's try. Very, we're on fire. This is good. All right, next one. That's right, excellent. So this is going fairly well. Next one. Computers, Apple, that's right. India, yeah, looking after people, very good. What about this one? Tabitha saying, yeah, yeah, not bad, not bad. The point I wanted to make to you this morning was that if we were in the town of Joppa in the first century, we would have been able to hit Dorcas and said she was always doing good and helping the poor, just as quickly as any of those other things came up. The thing that we learn about her in this passage is that she was well known for doing good. In fact, it says she was always doing it. One of the translations says she was full of good works. This wasn't sort of something she did just every now and then. It wasn't a passing phase. This was who she was. Dorcas, Tabitha, was a person who was always helping the poor. And we see a little bit of what she might have been doing when we look at verse 39. So here we have Dorcas's deathbed and we have some widows standing there and they're talking about the robes and the clothes that she made. I think the phrase goes like this, the robes and other clothing that Dorcas had made while she was still with them. So we get this picture of someone who was helping others by making clothes for them. And I want to talk a little bit, about, bit more about this verse 39, two things. The first one is that it has inspired, at least in the 19th century it did, Dorcas societies. We, I, I don't recall having heard of them, I don't know if you had, I think they've sort of died out. But... We've we got a, we've got a picture there this is this is an image of a Dorcas society in the 19th century in the US and the UK, these societies sprang up of people who said, wow, we're inspired by this verse acts 939 and this person whose life was dedicated to others maybe largely by making clothes for them and these societies would make clothes for for poor and destitute people. The other thing I want to draw out of verse 39 is to put ourselves in the context of what's going on here. So, Peter, Peter at this stage is the leader of the early church. This is the guy who 3,000 people came to know Jesus because he spoke one day. He's kind of a celebrity. And he's here in this room by this deathbed. And these widows are there as well. And they're not talking about Peter. They're not talking about anything other than, what did this woman do when she was alive? She'd had such an impact that in the presence of this great celebrity, all they could talk about was what she'd done. This is who she was. This is the Dorcas that we're talking about. So I wondered, what does that look like for us today? We're in this series, we're saying, what do we learn from the lives of disciples? What does it mean for us today if we were to say, you know what? I'm really inspired by Dorcas' example. I want to help the poor. Well, the first question that came through my mind was, who are the poor? What, what does that mean? What does it mean to be poor? And, and I went and I looked up some, some sort of definitions, if you like, and I found that the idea of the poor and poverty, is, it, it's actually changed over time. And, and my thinking was, is probably about four decades old, and it started with thinking, well, the poor are just people who don't have stuff. It's 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 a lack of things. So maybe, maybe they have a low lower income, or or maybe they just don't have material things like a house or a car. But but that's kind of the way we used to think about poverty a long, long time ago. And and the thinking's evolved a little bit and, and so it evolved into the thinking that actually poverty is about an entanglement of issues. An entanglement of, of not only lack of stuff—that's part of it—but also maybe physical health isn't there. Maybe there's some elements of isolation, social isolation. And, and then the thinking moved on even further, and I won't go through all of them, but through concepts like powerlessness or lack of an ability to grow, lack of a freedom to grow. And the, the sort of the latest one that, that I kind of liked was this idea that it's a marred identity, where where people have been living for years or maybe even generations in a way that has made them start to think about themselves in a way that's not true, not realising that they're actually created by God for a purpose, not realising that they have worth and value. And so this idea of poverty and the poor is really quite complex. That's the first thing that I just wanted to unpack today. The next thing is that we might think well actually you know there's, there's not really poor people around here, most of them are in, in uh, other countries. Well in 2012 the Australian Council of Social Services estimated that about 12.5%, 12.5% of all Australians live in relative poverty. Now you'll notice that little word relative there so it may not mean that they're under two dollars a day or whatever the sort of international standard is but relative for the typical and standard of living in Australia, 12.5% of Australians. That's a big number to me. So it made me think, what can we do about that? What can we do about this group of people in our country, in our state? And I've got some ideas here, and these are not meant to be exhaustive. So you might be sitting there thinking, I've got some much better ideas, and I hope you have, and I hope you share them. But I want to share with you some thoughts that came to me. And the first one is this, that we need to love our neighbour. And, and what I mean by that is the people next door, the people over the road, the people behind us. And if we get to know them, as a community, look how many people we would touch. And maybe not all of them are poor. In fact, I, I would guess many of them wouldn't be. But if we know the people who actually live around us, then we can start to be in their lives and be ministering to them. Another thought is to be part, to be serving in ministries, serving in ministries that are open to helping people who might be struggling. We have some incredible ministries here at Cary. I, I don't know if you've heard of something called the Mothers of Preschoolers. Incredible ministry that meets here every couple of Tuesdays and is open to mums being able to come in from, from whatever background. And just have a couple of hours to talk to other ladies while the kids are being looked after. That's a ministry that actually is there and and anybody can come and be part of it. You might have been here a few weeks ago when we talked about youth and young adults. We have up to 200 youth that come into this auditorium on a Friday night. Again, open to the whole community for people to come in. Serving there is a way that we can provide opportunities for people who are in difficult circumstances to start to engage. And the final example of ministries that I've got here is on that same Sunday, you might have heard Graham Watson talk about the Right Track Foundation and what they're doing, including ministry that goes into Banksia Hill Detention Centre and a way of connecting with people there, serving them, and telling them about the gospel. So there are ministry opportunities. We can contribute financially, you probably know of a number of charities that do great work. We can be advocates, Proverbs 31 8 says this, speak up for those who cannot speak for themselves. For the rights of all who are destitute, speak up and judge fairly, defend the rights of the poor and needy. It made me ask this question for myself, when I vote, what are the issues that I'm looking at? Uh, Am I looking at issues that just affect me or am I actually thinking about issues and policies that affect people who are trapped in poverty cycles? Of course there's also overseas issues and, and just some quick ones there we can advocate. You might have heard of things like the MICA Challenge, Make Poverty History, some major campaigns that are doing great work in alleviating poverty. We can participate in ethical consumption. And we can sponsor children. There are so many ways. There are just a few of them. But I wanted to touch on that this morning because not just in this passage. Well, actually, here's the connection in this passage. What we see in the entire Bible, the Old Testament and the New Testament, is God's love and God's desire to stand with and protect and defend the needs of of the poor and, and those who are excluded. And that's what we see Jesus did. And now we see Dorcas as a disciple following what Jesus did. And standing in that place. So I thought it was worth us just unpacking that a little bit this morning and perhaps challenging ourselves. But let's come back to this story of Dorcas and what we learn. We've learned that she loved serving the poor. I've read this passage over and over. I've read a bunch of commentaries and that that means people who've, you know, highfalutin scholars who've looked at all this stuff and I can't find anything else about it. That's it. She helps the poor. She does good. And so it leads to, every sermon must have, of course, a big idea. So here's my big idea. The big idea this morning is that as a disciple, I need to focus on imitating Jesus and serving others. I need to focus on imitating Jesus and serving others, helping the poor. And when I do that, it says in verse 42 that this became known all over Joppa and many people believed in the Lord. This became known all over Joppa. At about this point, as I was preparing, I suddenly realised a little issue. I realised that if you read carefully, the this in verse 42 is not referring to Dorcas's good works. This is not talking about everybody came to know the Lord because... Dorcas was helping the poor. So, maybe, we, can we take that big idea down, please? It started to become clear to me that, that this is actually Dorcas's resurrection. The, the thing that made everybody stand up and take notice is, is actually the fact that she was raised from the dead. And, and I, I started to look at it in a different way and I realised that most of this passage is about Dorcas' resurrection. It was Dorcas coming back from the dead, it wasn't about all of her good works, there's a couple of lines about that. And I started to see that, that the words used even, where Peter, Peter uses, Peter comes along and he uses these words, Tabitha in in the Greek, I don't know Greek but this is what it says in some of the commentaries, Tabitha koum, it actually says, Tabitha, get up. That's one letter different from what Jesus said to Jairus' daughter in Mark chapter 5, when he said, Little girl, get up. Talitha, cool. So this same wording, it's, it's about God raising a life. And that's what got all the attention. Peter is allowed, empowered miraculously by God to do this miracle. And, and it's not only that. So, so there's this element, it's all about God, actually, and what God's doing. It's about God and Him, God's movement not just in the resurrection but also then I started to think about the whole passage and I thought this passage, it's sort of wedged between uh, Saul who became uh, Paul and and at the start of chapter 9, coming to know Jesus and then in chapter 10, what we see is that Peter's been positioned in Joppa to get that vision to get the vision that when then he went off to Cornelius's house and kind of this is actually a biblical way of God moving Peter to Joppa so that Peter's then off and suddenly we get the Gentiles, the mission to the Gentiles. The narrative story is not about Dorcas at all, it's about God. The specific deed that we're talking about here, the resurrection, is all about God. And as I realised this, I thought, I've got a new big idea. So here's my new big idea, that actually this passage... Is about God and God brings, God alone brings glory to Himself. He is the one that brings people to Himself. It's God's story. He is empowering the miracle here. It's God who's moving and bringing people to Himself and it's all about God. And I thought, that's a much better big idea. But then I thought, well, what? We're talking about discipleship. What, what, do I, what do I say about... Maybe I've got the wrong story. Oh, dear me. I've, uh, I've chosen the wrong passage and the wrong disciple because actually there's not a whole lot here about discipleship. This is just about God. Tabitha, here is kind of incidental. I need, to, I need to do a sermon just about God, but, but how do I do this sermon about God and God alone when, when we're talking about discipleship? And, and I was trying to reconcile these two things in my head. And suddenly, that trip to Mount Denali came back. And I actually got out the binoculars. And I realized that what I needed to do here was to start looking through both lenses at the same time. That to really understand the depth of life in this passage, I needed to be able to look through the lens of, I'm a disciple. And I'm following Jesus and I need to imitate Him. But at the same time, at the same time, look through the lens of this is God's big story and God's doing all the work. And when I look through both lenses, then I see the full life picture of this passage and this story. In Ephesians 2.9, it tells us this, it says, we are God's handiwork created in Christ Jesus to do good works, which God prepared in advance for us to do. And as I thought more about that statement in this passage, it it started to dawn on me that yes, the resurrection piece is why all these people in Joppa started to, or came to, to believe in the Lord. But I can't help but wonder whether part of this was that Dorcas had been doing what God created her to do. She had been out there ministering to the poor, she was well known in Joppa and God chose her to then bring many people to believe. There was a report done earlier this year, it was called the MacRindle Report, it's a fascinating one, because, and it connects to what happened back there, I think, to what happens now as well. Over 1,000 Australians were surveyed in this report. It was uh, commissioned by a number of entities. You might, you might know Sunshine FM, uh, a few radio stations, some other businesses. And it, it asked a range of questions. And, and the people surveyed were supposed to be representative. They were representative of Australians. They, weren't, they were not Christian or non-Christian necessarily. They were just a, a random sample. And one of the really interesting things about this survey was they asked this question, what would make you, random Australian, interested in learning more about religion and spirituality? What would bring you into into more interest? The number one answer, the number one answer given by these representative Australians was seeing a life of genuine faith lived out. So today in 2017, people across Australia are saying, the thing that might make me most interested in exploring this religion thing is when I see a person who's walking the talk, who's genuinely living out a life, and I suspect the same was true in Joppa in the first century, where people saw this woman who was always doing good and helping the poor, and maybe that was prompting some thinking, and then when she got raised from the dead, boy oh boy, okay, (laughs) okay, We're convinced. And I can see God using that. I can see God using us. And so here is my final, this is the final one, my big ideas. I think that it is all about God. And, and he chooses to use us as we follow Jesus. So as we close our little journey of exploration this morning, I want to ask the question, well, what does that mean for us? What does that look like? How do we put this into practice? Now, here are some suggestions. I think it means looking for what God is doing in our workplace, or our school, or, or our day-to-day lives, and then looking at how we apply the skills and talents He's given us into that situation. I think it means both working on our own relationship with Jesus, deepening, getting to know Him better and making sure we're loving others, not doing one to the exclusion of the other. And if I think about us as a community, I think it's looking at the big picture of what God is doing with Carrie. What the amazing things, Dave talked about the teachers, Dave talked about this campus where there are many, many people that come here every day. Let's look at the vision of what God is doing there and what he's calling us with the gifts and talents he's given us to do as part of that big platform. Perhaps though this morning you don't know Jesus. Perhaps, perhaps you're, you're here exploring and I, I just want to spend a moment and give you a couple of thoughts as well. For you I hope this morning has been exciting. I, I hope that on this journey of exploration you, you, you might start to think, actually I'm, I'm surrounded by a bunch of people who live out their faith. People who've taken time to be here on a Sunday morning rather than somewhere slightly warmer. People who are actually committed to living this life and who go out and follow Jesus. And I hope you might be encouraged that God actually has a plan for each and every one of us, including you. He's called you to do great works and He can use that for His glory. And the plan starts with following Jesus whether we know Jesus this morning or not, sometimes our lenses get a bit blurry. And so my final point, I guess, my final prayer for us all is that we'd actually be able to sharpen up both lenses. I pray that this morning we'd be able to start thinking, what is that big picture that I'm a part of, that God is doing, as well as what's going on in my walk with Jesus? I think when we do that, In fact, I believe when we do that. God moves. God is moving. And I'm excited to be part of a community where God is calling people to believe in himself. And our role, our role is to continue to follow Jesus. Bless you this morning.